Uh, everything's going good. You're in, you're in, uh, you live in my neck of the woods, man. In what? I'm from, I'm from like right outside of Philly. Oh, for real? Yeah. So Where did you grow up? Like, so I, like, I literally live probably like 20 minutes where you guys are at. Wow. Yeah. How often are, are you like heading home every once in a while or? Every once in a while. It's been a, it's been a good bit. So probably we'll head home maybe for the holiday at some point. Yeah. So like I'll be around the area, but like, yeah, that's where, that's where I grew up. That's where I trained for like a long, long time and like everything like that. So it just, where did you train? Memories. Where did you train? Um, I trained at a gym called King gym. It's in uh, Bridgeport. So okay. I was a little bit away from where power build is power builds like 10 minutes away from where that gym is. Yeah. So, like, have you not? Have you been to Power Build? No, no, I can't. Tra I can't. No, there's too many people that go there. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty full. That's, that's but why I, mean, I, tr I try to avoid. I like there was no one there usually at like King Gym, so I could get the like, pieces that I needed when I needed to. And like they had all like Arsenal equipment, Atlantis equipment. So like I was good. I didn't need I didn't need to go anywhere. So it was very much like a quieter, quieter yeah. gym, which was a bit nicer. It was so weird because before the lockdown or when I was still in Germany, you know, I trained in a gym, like regular gym, a pretty good gym for like five, six years. So it was like a very consistent thing. And then with the lockdown, I trained on a balcony for a while. I trained in a basement. Then I came to the States where I trained in a lab where, you know, nobody was there except maybe one or two people every once in a while. Yeah. And then when I came here, I trained in the rec center for the like, I don't know, I've never trained in we, we don't have something resembling a rec center in, in um, German colleges. So that was like also new to me to train with all of the college kids. Mm -hmm. So it's like really wild. I feel like I've gone through like so many like different like situations I didn't used to be in previously, like first, like no people at all, like my fucking balcony, you know, where I did like, dude, this, this most dangerous shit ever i did like floor presses with like 120 pounds so i pulled it <laughs> off like this like a uh, lawn chair is that the right thing the, the right thing to say lawn chair maybe not yeah yeah but like i pulled it off so and i had like a rubber band around like the weights and stuff like that it was like just like so fucking dangerous like um but it was fun but yeah i don't know training situation oh. has been wild over the last three or four years like very inconsistent or like different than how I'm used to, you know, it's, it really, it really does make you like cherish when you get back into the gym. Like, <laughs> I remember we, my sister's husband and I, we, um, we invested in some equipment into his attic. We were like training in his attic. <laughs> it was all like, like it was crazy what we were doing, um, to, yeah. to get through. And, but we had like, we had like a barbell, we had like a bow flex, like we were just trying to make things work with what we could. So it was like to go from that and then go right back into a gym. You're like, wow. Cause you just go from like doing the bare minimum, right? Like legs is so difficult to do from home oh, when yeah. you don't have legs, like anything. Yeah. So it's just like squats, squats, RDLs, and that's it. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, there we go. There's not much else to it, to what you can do. So it definitely was like, we definitely played a dangerous game when we were, when we were up there in that attic, like pushing weights because we had like, we had those dumbbells where you had to like spin weight on like, and it took us like forever, like we were strong. So it took us forever to like get up to like eighties <laughs> and nineties. And we're like, <sighs> it would literally take us like 30 minutes to do one exercise. Cause we had to like spin weight on spin weight off. And you're like, 
oh my gosh, this is taking way too long to do this. So like when you when you get right back into the gym and you're just like, you just grab the weight off the rack, you're like, wow, so much time and efficiency was just saved by doing that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I, I really noticed though how much I enjoyed the creativity of the whole situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like in the beginning, I was like, ah, you know, like that sucks. I was also, um, so I was prepping actually for powerlifting meet and we started lockdown literally the day where I woke up to drive to the meet. So I prepped for months on end. Um, it was German, <laughs> Ger German nationals actually. And then, and then I was like, you know, I was ready. So I was like, you know, really excited to go. And I look on my phone and I see like an email, like, you know, lockdown and it's like the meet is canceled and shit like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was like really, really frustrated, but in the end, I, once I like, I guess, you know, didn't care as much about that anymore, like the, the creativity and like the new exercises or like insights I gained from the whole situation were actually pretty remarkable. Like there's still exercises, which I do to this day in like, even if I have full equipment in the gym, um, so for instance, like, um, I do banded pushups. I don't know if you've ever tried. Oh, those, those. Are, those are miserable. We were doing them too. Damn, we were doing like slow negatives and like everything. They were yeah. Bad. And I, I loaded them like I calculated it. I loaded them to a point where I did like banded pushups where like the top tension was like 400 pounds or shit like that, you know? And it's like, yeah. it's, it's like, it, I mean, it's not perfect. And you need to like, you know, how do you get the tension in like the bottom range or like in the more lengthy yep. position and stuff like that. But like you can with, with, I know there were a lot of people shitting on bands and usually those were the people who were not really creative with bands. Like you can, you, you can actually do so much with it, especially yeah. if you have a good, a good set of bands. So, yeah. And for instance, like another one was also, I did, I, I played around with this exercise for rear delts where I set up like two small bands and cross them and like sit, set them up on nipple height. And mm -hmm. the fascinating thing is actually that I was uh, doing the N1 education course at the same time from, from CASM. Um, so you're learning how to actually do a rear delt kind of row and actually targeting. Cause most people think like rear delts is this way and you're, yeah. coming, and you're kind of like separating it. So it's coming this way and you're actually hitting your rear delts now. So, so I was, I was doing like a fly version of it, but like the mm -hmm. fascinating thing was that with the bands, and like the way the, you know, resistance curve is on the bands and, you know, also the fact that you can set them up and you're pretty flexible how you set them up and where you set them up. Yep. Um, I was actually able to create a rear delt exercise, which I was not able to like, you know, I haven't found any rear delt exercise yet, which comes somewhat close to that exercise because you can do some sort of like mechanical drop set where you also like, you know, step in um you step backwards a lot so you start with the lengthened position and then you come forward or whatever like you can be really creative and i was able to like feel my rear delts i've never felt them before and the interesting thing is that afterwards i actually understood how to train rear delts with other exercises too it's almost like that that exercise taught me how to train my rear delts um it was really fascinating and i i i have a few of those stories you know from from the lockdown itself but um yeah, it's still good to be back in the gym, to be honest, because I don't know, like there's some things which also really suck, you know, not having, like, especially <laughs> if you're a powerlifter. I mean, <laughs> like it's really yeah, difficult. To... You're like deadlifting like 225 in bands and you're like, okay, how do I, how do I actually make this like a progressive thing? Um, so how did you, how did you end up coming, coming to the United States then? So you, so you've just recently moved over to the United States. 
No, I've I've been here for three years now. Um, okay. I still consider I, that recent, considering considering re everything. Recent, yeah, recent considering that I'm 26 now. But <laughs> um, I guess like I got into the sport fairly early. I was 13, and you know, competed the first time when I was 16. And I was always like, I don't know, I, I had this like trifecta of interests, which is like, first of all, my own like, you know, athletic relationship with the sport and like competing mm -hmm. all of these things. But yeah. also I was like really intellectually curious about, you know, like exercise science and muscle hypertrophy, like, you know, nutritional stuff, especially because Germany was, it felt like they were 10 years behind the United States in terms of like the methodologies. Yeah. I feel like it's not the case anymore because of like, you know, YouTube and all of these things that like really picked up. But back then it was like very different. Like nobody, like in 2013, nobody did flexible dieting, you know, that was not a thing. Um, or like, even like tracking macros, like all of that stuff was like pretty like, um, you know, new to a lot of people. They were still discussing if like, you know, cooked rice and, you know, another carb sauce, carb sauce if, if there's one advantage over the other um um carb sauce i i don't know what you um if you know what i'm talking about like yeah, for instance yeah, like if, if, if you're talking about you know like oh they're like is oats better than rice or is potato better exactly than rice? exactly like exactly and you're like they're coming up with these debates over over these minuscule things yeah so it's like it's just like there was not a method methodological understanding of like mm -hmm. actually like you know the different variables like i'm not saying that like you know everything needs to be like put into its own like you know chemical pieces and like that's the way you always need to see nutrition but like in a way there is um you know there was no understanding whatsoever in in regards to these topics and um I was actually like kind of turned off by that because I was like, this doesn't make sense. Like I was like listening to like some, you know, stuff over in the United States. And I was like, they, they were so far ahead and you could see it too. Like, you know, the, the people look better. I mean, I grew up in natural bodybuilding, but like there was a pretty big discrepancy between the people in UK and United States and Germany, um, especially conditioning wise, you know? Yeah. So this was like one of the few things where I noticed that like, oh, there's something else going on. And I think this is how I like got into research and looked into exercise science programs. And I was like, dude, we don't have any exercise science program in Germany. Like, what the hell? Um, <laughs> we had we had sports sciences. I think this is largely due to Germany, you know, being, you know, soccer is bigger there and like all of these things. And we don't have yeah. many like strength related sports, especially not on a bigger level, like football or baseball, where you at least need like more strength and conditioning type stuff. Yeah. Um, so sports science is something fairly different. It's more like you actually, um, I don't know, it's like it's more team sports based and it's like really not what I was looking for. So I started with nutritional sciences, but I was like, in my mind, I was like, I want to go for my master's. I want to go abroad um and like go to the united states and like do research and stuff like that so i was looking into programs and it took me a while to like prep actually for going abroad it's it's not an easy process it you know you need to do like language test and blah 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 it's like it's a pain in the ass honestly um but because i i had it in my mind for so long it worked out and then i came to the states and worked with dr campbell for two years um at, at usf and initially, I actually, I thought about, you know, doing a PhD and, you know, going that route, um, but ended up not doing it. Um, although uh, I was, yeah, um, I'm still kind of like emotionally connected to that field, I guess. <laughs> um, 
what was uh, what was your question again? Just how'd you get here? So like, what makes oh, you? Oh yeah. So what makes you like then like so so emotionally still connected to that field comparatively to what you're doing like now? It's it's really interesting. I feel like there was a time where I started to like. Um, I was so neurotic about bodybuilding, you know, it's like, and like strength sports, like 2018, I trained 40 hours a week. Like I trained morning, evening, morning, evening, every single oh, day. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> powerlifting in the morning, bodybuilding in the evening, you know, and it, it worked really well, honestly, because we built my work capacity over years. Um, was it necessary? I don't know. Um, but it worked well, certainly. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for me, it was like this like big thing of, about like, you know, I really want this. And I guess I was also like reinforced all the time because, you know, I got the things I wanted, like titles or like whatever I was looking for. And then I had one season which didn't go the way I wanted it to. You know, it's like I was actually like looking really good till seven weeks out and then something happened. And um, yeah, things just didn't end up going the way I was like, imagine them, imagine them to. Definitely. And that really, like, there's no better way of saying it, but that fucked me up mentally, like, completely. Um, and, you know, I guess I tipped the pendulum swung in the other direction and I tipped completely, um, you know, on the side of, like, you know, I fuck comp competitive bodybuilding or competitive strength sports. I, I don't want to do it. At the same time, still training really hot, though. Like, I could never, like, really let go of this, like, you know, mentality of, like, not doing it. Um. But now in hindsight, like I notice also how many like independent of like, you know, the values or virtues of like discipline and hard work and all of these things people talk about. There's also other things which, you know, which you gave me, which I'm really grateful for, for instance, like the aspect to have like a very resilient, strong body, like all of the time, you know, it's like. I don't know, sometimes when one is so focused and like this competitive mindset, one doesn't even notice how much that like really does for one, you know, it's like, yeah, picking up groceries, sometimes like just like having an, an easy time, like, I don't know, carrying some heavy shit when you're moving from A to B. Or, um, you know, it's like, in general, like my life quality is so much higher if I do the sport than if I don't do it. Like, I was anticipating going now into my new grad program that I would like cut back tremendously actually on training and fat like what was really fascinating is like what really happened is i got more detached from like being as neurotic about what i'm doing but i'm not training really like that much less you know i'm still training mm -hmm. four times a week three hours per training like it's still like a lot of like training time considering that i have so much other shit to do Yep. Um, so I feel like the values and why I'm doing it changed quite a bit, but like, there's obviously still something in it, which makes me like, you know, I guess like keep pursuing it. Yeah. Cause I guess there's, well, I guess this is the one thing where like you kind of hinted at it. A lot of people look for that, like external value for what these things yeah. give. And especially when you get into a competitive stance with bodybuilding or with a strength sport where they're always looking at the numbers they're looking at, they're looking at their body. Like they're always looking at the external yeah. and they don't realize like when you, when you kind of sit there and you like look at everyone else, that's more like normal around you or what would be considered more normal, especially in the United States. It's very, very different. Like if you really look back at what you're able to do compared to what those people can do, it's very drastic. Like in it how is. you function and how, and how you think, right? Because it's not just, 
it's not just what you're able to do physically. It's what you're able to do like mentally too, as well, because you have that, you have that innate ability. Like you developed, you developed an ability to kind of have that resiliency mentally too, to be able to push yourself. Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree. I do think though, that like for some people that unfortunately at some point ends in a spot, which is not necessarily positive. So let me give you an example. It's like, I think mm -hmm. a lot of people get into a sport where they like, you know, have a nice goal of like, oh, like I really enjoy doing this. And I set myself the goal of maybe go on stage and do all of these things. And for a lot of people, there's also like a certain hope included in that. So like whenever I will be on stage or whenever I win will win this title, I will feel X, Y, and Z. And I feel like I've seen this like so often I noticed it in myself or it became like really like I, I became really aware of it when things, you know, didn't go well anymore. Like when I had this one season where things didn't go well, um, where people seem to consistently pursue something in the hope that one day they might get it and might feel better. Um, and usually like in the beginning, there's like still a lot of like enjoyment in what they're doing and they feel like, you know, there's like flexibility and they, you know, feel like they're growing like mentally, physically, all of these things. But at some point, it seems to almost like sometimes tip into this like desperate headspace of like, I really want this and they cling to it so hard that like other things suffer. And it doesn't really feel like actual like, you know, productive growth anymore, at least mentally, but more like almost like, um, yeah, I don't know what else to call it. Um, but it's like, it almost tips in the other direction. I don't know how, how better to describe it. Um, yeah, I don't know what if, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, Definitely. And it's like, it's like interesting, because sometimes I wish or like, I don't know if I wish this would have happened earlier to me, but it was like some kind of like, de-illusionment you know like i was i had like the illusion of like if i do this for the rest of my life i'll be a super happy person but then like when shit went down like all of that illusion crumbled and i was like oh like this was actually like a trap which i was caught in you know because it's like the interesting thing is that like winning the titles and getting all of these things consistently like reinforced whatever i was doing but it didn't really like get me what i wanted i was just like thinking about the next goal, you know, it's like, oh, you know, when I totaled 750, 750 kilograms, you know, that will be really nice. And then you have it. And then you're like, oh, when I have 800, it will be really nice. And then like 850. And then like, you know, it's like, but it all feels the same, ultimately, you know? Oh, yeah, over time, it, it does, because then you realize it's always been about like the next goal. Like for most people, yeah. it's never about like, actually achieving something and let themselves like, achieve it. Like, you know what I mean? Like a lot of people don't get that present sense when they actually do it. You, they get it for like a day and then they're on to like the next thing. Like they don't yeah. actually let themselves like actually take it in for what is happening. Or like when they're going through like these stages of like personal growth and things, they don't actually document it. Right. Because I think that's where a lot of people kind of get stuck to as well is where I see and I've been here because it's just like, it's part of things. And like, I didn't know at the time, but like, you know, when we journal and things like that, I think a one big thing is like documenting most people, most people journal when they go through like bad times. Right. And they're like, when I need to figure out something within myself, or I need to figure out like what's going on mentally in my in my head. Right. But shouldn't we, I feel like we should be doing things when they are like at the peak, at the pinnacle, 
of when you mm. feel right. We never want to do these, these, these like mental, these mental checklists, these mental boxes of like journaling, meditation things when we're at our high, because we're like, we're good, right? We're feeling good. But when you get down to like those parts where you start to kind of lose yourself in it, then you kind of realize, okay, what did I do to get here? So you kind of have mm -hmm. like that trailway journey so that you get right back there. And then it starts to become a little less like over time. So I know what you're saying when people kind of get very neurotic of it and they get very attached to what they're trying to achieve because it's, I mean, most people that get into these sports, right, are former athletes. So they mm -hmm. kind of lose that athletic, that athletic sport that they had before that they attached yeah. a lot of value to and they yeah. attached a lot of worth to because mm -hmm. it's just like throughout childhood, what do you do? All your friends are the people that you played sports with or right, in that sport or like most of the things come from like your community comes from that. So yeah. that's where they, that's where they really kind of attach it. So when things kind of go wrong, they don't really know how to react because they yeah. only, they only know when things get better. Cause they get like that initial, you know, how you get like that initial growth, whatever, whenever you're starting out with like an athlete or a client, they get that initial like 10 pound drop. And they think that's going to like happen just like all the time. And then they get hit with a roadblock. And then they go back up like three pounds and you're like, okay, now, now I'm seeing what's going to happen as it. So we have to learn to like, not, not let like external things get to people when it comes down to it and remind them of what they're actually doing in total, where it's just like, we're adding years onto your life. That's why I tell yeah. all the people, right? Like in the end, that's why I tell a lot of my athletes. I'm like, what you're doing now, the habits that you're doing now are going to add years onto your life and going to allow you to be there when your kids get older. <laughs> and like, that's what you yeah. want. I'm like, it's I not, like you don't want, you don't just want the healthy body. You want to be able to have a responsive body that can get you further in life to actually enjoy like all the moments that you want to enjoy. Totally. I, I think this comes down to like, why are we actually doing this? You know? It's like, it's like a values virtues type of question. And it's so interesting because obviously when one like goes, you know, or is in that sport, one meets different kinds of individuals, people who like never placed well and people who always placed well or like mostly placed well. And it's like really interesting because I think I've been fortunate that like throughout, I guess, like my athletic career, I, I placed really well, you know, so it's like I was consistently reinforced in whatever I did. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that would happen if I would, you know, start now, probably not, because like the talent pool, like massively increased. But like, at least back then in Germany, whatever situation I was in, I placed well. And a good friend of mine, he, like, he is incredibly successful like in life in in the sport too like he um you know multiple multiple time world champion german champion whatever yep. and we came to this to this point where it's like you know you ultimately see that like even if you get all of the things you're looking for like they're also like similarly as empty because there's like there's like this hope in it that like oh once i have these like you know i'll feel good i'll feel like X, Y, and Z or whatever one is looking for. Um, I feel like I'm enough, like all of these things. And then like you have them, but it's like, they're so fleeting. It's like, not, not, not even that. It's like you, you, the, I guess like 
the veil of ignorance gets removed once you like hit that spot, you know? And this is like, I think really interesting because some people never get, really get to that point. You know, it's like, they're consistently in the chase um, and not everyone hits like actually like the point where they like, you know, see what it actually means if they're like, I don't know, like really rich or like have all of these things. But um, then the next question arises like, well, when I have it, you know, and like, I got all, I get all of these things, like what's left? Like, why am I doing this? You know? And I think this is like, this was for me a really big question because it's like, well, as you said, like, you know, do I want to like live longer or like all of these things? And it's like, ultimately for me, what it came down to was like, you know, first of all, enjoyment. Like I'm actually doing this like in the present moment because I really enjoy it. I actually enjoy like training, training really hard and also training long. It's just like, I don't know. I've, I've always liked it. Like, yep. Yeah, I, I'm not happy if I train on for 45 minutes. Like, it just doesn't make me happy. It's like, it's like every workout I'm doing has like such a systemic like component that I'm like pretty fucked afterwards. And it's like, it's just what I enjoy. It's like, there's enjoyment in it. Um, and then like for, you know, there's also like other things in it. Like you can, for instance, like um, I recently noticed like over the past two years, like movement intelligence, like can, you can really learn how your body wants to move, not how you make your body move, but how your body wants to move. Yeah. There's, there's like a few things um, in it, but it's like, this is really something where like, we have this like attitude of like always looking towards the future, you know, it's like, oh, like I'm doing this for like X, Y, and Z. But like, if you're actually staying present and grounded, like, why are you doing this right now? Like even, you know, like your, your muscle growth does not manifest immediately. Um, and even if it does, like, at least to me, it feels pretty similar, honestly, because it's like, it's similar with like the 750 or 850 total, you know, it's like, you just get used to it. So it's like, even if you enjoy like being bigger or like being stronger, it's like ultimately like, what do you gain from it? And for me, it's like, well, ultimately like why I'm, I'm doing this because of enjoyment, you know, but that that's just me. But ultimately that changed how I view, uh, how I viewed my training and like my nutrition dramatically, because if I go to the training and I lose my enjoyment, you know, to like, I don't know, hit a goal of like becoming stronger, something is off, you know, previously, I didn't notice that previously, it was like, well, this is like a very natural thing for me. It's like where, you know, I was chasing this goal, and I was like going after it. And it's like, my, my enjoyment doesn't really matter. But now it's like, after I've been at that spot where I had all of these things, I'm like, well, nothing changed. It's like, you know, I sometimes fall into this habit of like, you know, doing things how I previously did them. But like, I always like at some point wake up and I'm suffering. I'm like, I don't like this. Why am I doing this? You know, it's like just to get another inch out of like, I don't know, another inch on my quads. And the fascinating thing actually is that since I've turned that around for me, my training has been moving better again. Um, because I was so caught up in the neurotic aspects of the sport that like, I often inhibited myself in actually performing well, or like I was making decisions, which were actually not super productive because at some point, sometimes you should rest or you should do X, Y, and Z, you know, um, which is often built in, in like, in, in, in aspects like enjoyment, for instance, like, at least for me, it's like, you know, if I, if I really like feel crushed, I yeah. would enjoy a day off. You know, yeah, but yeah. it's like, I'm the same way. I'm the same way. <laughs> it's, 
it has a lot to do also with like authenticity because ultimately it's like if you really enjoy training you don't need to be afraid that afraid that if you like let go of so tightly clinging to this goal that you won't go training uh, go to the gym anymore you will you know it's just like that you know the, the letting go process of like doing all of these things sometimes um feels scary but ultimately allows like the freedom and the flexibility to actually do things in a way you want them to do but i don't know if i could have done that without you know hitting this like i don't know this bad well like having been in this in the spot uh, spot where i had this bad prep where i really like where it was shown to me that like you know the way i i was doing these things was actually not what i was looking for um yeah yeah, I think, and this this is something that actually I had a conversation with my friend on. She, it was really funny. So I, so I am surrounded by people who have way better genetics or way better like potential, right? When yeah. it comes down to it, right? Because those things matter when it comes down to getting like an IFBB pro card and things. And most people don't want to admit it, but it does. Like you can, oh, yeah, 100%, yeah. you could say whatever you want about genetics and bodybuilding, it matters. <laughs> it 100%, it 100% goes into it. It's like if you have the genetics and your body just grows a certain way, welcome, welcome to the IFBB, like you will be a pro, like if your body, if your body morphs that way. Um, yeah. and, and she asked and she was like, why do you bodybuild? And, and I was and I was really kind of taken back because like I was thinking about when I started it like f four years ago, like just over three and a half years ago. And I was like, three and a half years ago, I put out a goal that I would get like an IFBB pro card. But along the way, my mentality very much like shifted because of the way that I approach my training. Hmm. So when I, when I initially got into it, I had all these like to start to train hard most people don't know the mental place that you have to go to, to do that mm -hmm. for, for at least in like the beginning phases. And so when I was going through the beginning phases, I was bringing back a lot of like the traumas from being a kid, whatever I went through, like during my childhood, right. To kind of press me through like my leg days, like, and brutally yeah. destroy myself. Mm -hmm. And, and so like, that was all to like get an IFBB pro card. And it's just like, it was there. That was the goal. And somehow over time, it shifted, whether it was like, I noticed my genetics or I noticed kind of how my body was responding or where I'm at. And it happened within like the last year. And it's just been like, I just enjoy it. Right. It's just like, it's like, I enjoy showing up every day and seeing how I can get better. Mm -hmm. Because that's like the most important part to it. Right. And the body and my body started, like you said, Start to be fun and the body starts responding a little bit better because you you kind of let the gas off of what that outcome is going to be because and i said this on the last actually two podcasts so sorry if i'm repeating this to my guest but it's it's the same thing of like the quote like we have the rights to the work but not the rights to the fruits of our labor like mm -hmm. we we get the opportunity to go to the work and go do it and enjoy the process of the work but we don't always get the outcome that we want to achieve. So like no matter, but that doesn't, that doesn't hinder whether or not you got better because the outcome doesn't dictate that your effort, your effort and your enjoyment and what you do every day and like the consistency of the habits and stuff dictate that. 
and that's what pushes that's what should be pushing a lot of people so like i agree when you when you really start to enjoy things and start to do it you start to see more how your body moves right yeah. it's a weird thing but you start to see okay how does my body actually move and you kind of like experiment a little bit and you get like a little bit better through other means rather than just pushing a load or or a rep like you actually get more of like that as much as people don't like to say you get that more like internal feel of the muscle you get a little bit deeper on each rep like there's you you start to figure out okay what foot position really starts to feel better okay how do these things feel like for myself i like to wear like toe shoes for example like in the gym like when i do <laughs> leg day and yeah. it's it's way better than wearing in my opinion very better than wearing bands or the converse that i like to wear like yeah. it just helped me connect to my quads way better. So I have no issue with going into the gym and looking like a, someone's going to be like looking like a bozo because I'm wearing toe shoes. Right. And it's like, well, I'm doing this because I enjoy it. And it gives me that little bit of extra oomph that I mentally need there. And that helps me enjoy it way better. So I think a lot of people do lose that enjoyment factor, but they should enjoy it because that's, that's the whole part of it. Right. That's the whole part yeah. of actually getting into these things and getting healthy is it's not it's not that outcome. Yes, we need we need those external valid. We need those external points to kind of give us that initial kind of like motivation in a way. I think that that helps a lot. I'm not saying, hey, don't look at the scale or don't look at these things. I think that that can help a lot when it comes down to people and getting to this level where they're at, where we're at. Where it's just like, okay, we enjoy what we do, but you can't enjoy yeah. that without seeing like those initial, those initial little like changes externally that kind of power you through. So I think it's like a stage thing that people do need to go through where you kind of go yeah. through that first initial stage of seeing progress, progress, progress. And very much like you, you kind of hit that, that downslope, mm -hmm. right? And then like, you have to kind of like rework how you're viewing everything surrounding it to actually find that enjoyment again, because you were so enjoying that, that climb and that ascent that when you got to that peak, you didn't really know it was a peak at that time until you started to downward slope. But that's when you're like, okay, why did I enjoy it in 2018? But it's very different now. And like, how do I tailor it now to get back to where I was at that yeah. peak? Yeah, I also think that, you know, for most people, they get into the sport without any expectations in a way, you know, without any like, you know, they start training for whatever reason. And then along the way, when things start moving, you know, the ego hijacks the process. It's like you're like, you know, in it and it's like you start you're growing. So you like you, you know, you, you look on the you look at the scale more closely, whereas previously, you maybe stepped on the stage, you're like, Oh, this is kind of cool. You know, now it becomes like everything becomes kind of like serious. And everything becomes as if it is like, like a life or death situation. And, you know, even more so the more you're reinforced with success. And it's like really interesting, because you can sometimes even make the most progress you ever made. But depending on your expectations and your assumptions that can actually still be pretty miserable because it's not enough, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, sometimes like even like how good things are going for one physically, I guess, when we're talking about bodybuilding is sometimes like not even a f reflection of like, you know, how much enjoyment there is in it anymore, because it's like, 
there's just like this such severe clinging to whatever needs to happen that like you know things are like feeling like as if they're not happening fast enough or like you know x y and z and i think this is unfortunately how it happens for a lot of people uh, or a lot of people go through the process especially if they commit to competing um the fascinating thing is whenever first of all i see competitors like who never get into that trap um there's like actually people who really like love what they're doing and they don't take themselves too seriously which i find super fascinating i don't see it often though yeah um and those are also the kinds of people who kind of like end up always smiling like even in prep i don't know why <laughs> how <laughs> this is possible dude um but what i noticed actually is that things are tipping more in the other direction um because i started as a very young athlete you know and so i'm usually like still um you know I guess like looking at the direction like of seeing like teenage and junior athletes and like how um you know how they start in the sport and all of these things and it's like when i'm at powerball dude it's like fascinating because it seems like first of all there's so many young people who take that shit so seriously and on the one hand it's kind of like cool but on the other hand i also know that like you know that 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 there are kids who came to me who like trained for two months and they're like i want to be world champion which is like fair, you know, it's like, I'm not the one who wants to crush their, uh, their dreams. They may very well be world champion one day. I don't know, but I can already see how like the ego hijacked the process before they even started engaging in what they need to do to actually get to that point. Yes. And this is like, really, it's almost like a sad thing to me because it's like, um, you know, what I want for them is like, well, if you actually enjoy it, you know, like, chill, you know, ch chill, chill a little bit. Like, I, I, I would have hated that advice when I was younger. Um, but I mean, I guess like this is a certain wisdom which like grew over the years, you know, while going through all of these things. But whenever I have a young person who's like really like fired up about all of that, I'm like, dude, like I'm not, you know, arguing against competing, like compete and do whatever you want to do. But it's like make sure that you don't lose the enjoyment while doing it, you know, because it's like, um, especially if you're a junior or teenage athlete, I noticed that whenever they have like certain age cutoffs, for instance, that they like really like, I don't know, it's almost like they push themselves so hard because they want to achieve a certain something, something before they're 21 that like once they're in the open class, it's like, oh, fuck me, dude. Like now I'm 18 years in this class and I'm actually not able to compete with the really big guys. You know, it's like, and then usually like the motivation completely like implodes or like they just don't want to do it anymore. And this is, I don't know, it's, it's like a really interesting thing because, you know, why does it always happen that like this process, which once has been so enjoyable for so many people, gets so heavily hijacked by the ego? And I, I would, I would um, agree with you that I think for a lot of people, it plays into like, other stuff, you know, in them, like childhood trauma or like whatever, like they try to compensate with, you mm -hmm. know, with the sport. So in the beginning, it's just like an, a hobby or an element they really enjoy doing. It's like, oh, this is really fun. I want to do this. But then, you know, once they hit a certain point and it's like, yeah, they can see that, you know, that sport may give them something they've been looking for, for like, I don't know, since they're alive. It's like, that's where things start really to tip. And this is also where I've become um, a little like, 
I know I'm pushing back on this phrase of like, you know, the gym is my therapy. Like your therapy is your yes, therapy, thank bro. you. Thank you. Um, because it's like, ultimately, like I see where you're coming from, um, but ultimately the gym is your coping strategy. You know, it's like, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there are more unhealthy coping strategies. Like you can, <laughs> oh you can yeah, like, yeah, you can do a bunch of bullshit, like, but it's like, still, it's not, it's not necessarily like quote unquote, getting rid of the problem. You know, it's like, it may make you feel better acutely or like you're able to compensate certain things. But um, yeah, it's sad because it's like, ultimately, I think once the whole process is hijacked by all of that, it's like, it's difficult to like really delineate, you know, what is what, like, what is like actually my enjoyment to the sport or like, what is like, um, are you still there by the way? Oh shit. I think I lost you. There we go. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? <laughs> Hello? can't hear me, huh? Can you hear me? Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? This is so weird. Can you hear me? I there we go. <laughs> that was I weird, the dude. System. My I totally forgot to plug in. So what ended up happening? I forgot to plug in my computer, so my computer died. <laughs> <laughs> only I, only only the only the head of the podcast forgets to do that. It's okay. Um, so I think you were you were talking about we were talking about childhood traumas and everything like that, and I think that that and you were talking about gym as a therapy. 
And yeah, I mean, I think, that, I think that that's a really, so this is something that I'm actually coming to terms with. Um, yeah. that I actually came to terms with just yesterday out of, oh, damn. um, is I've been out of the gym for a month. So mm -hmm. I, so I had surgery like a month ago. So I've been out of the gym for a month and, oh, you know, like two weeks for most people is fine. Right. Yeah. You know, like give someone like a training break, like a week off. Great. They're, they're ready to get back into the gym. Imagine, imagine having someone who hasn't taken more than like two, two weeks off. Like I've taken like two weeks off at one point, but more than like two weeks off and not doing anything because they're still recovering from surgery. It's like, you start to realize how much you actually use it as yeah. a coping mechanism. Oh, right. Yeah. And, and how you do that now, I'm not saying it's not like my all only coping mechanism, right? I'm working on myself outside the gym, right? Yeah. Most people, most people just don't where I find the issue with the gym is my therapy is they don't like to work on themselves outside the gym mm -hmm. and they don't like to like journal and do those things I talked about before where, you know, you journal, you meditate, like you actually like find energy and be able to like read yourself and go deep dive into yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they're not willing to do that work because they think that work is too much because they know, and this is where I was because like, I've done this before. They know that there's things lurking and there's things like hiding that they, that they know they have to come to terms with and they don't do that. Right. So I think that's where a lot of people and especially like these teens and everything start to kind of use the gym as like their therapy mm -hmm. because they don't know how to actually like articulate what's going through here properly. Mm -hmm. Right. And I coach and I coach like a good bit of like 20 to 23 year olds. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think this is a very developmental age can oh, yeah. be if you do it right. Right. It's your first time really kind of being off on your own for most kids at college and things and trying to survive on their own, trying to like make decisions on their own and I try to get them to the point where you're talking about where they need to like step back and enjoy because mm -hmm. they'll get to where we are at 26 and it will put them so much further. So when they do get to this point where, you know, you are stable financially, you are stable mentally, right? If you've done the work, right? And you're in a place of you're kind of like aligned to yourself is when you get to those points, you will actually, um, you will just be so much more better and equipped to take, take on the sport for what it is mm -hmm. and be able to progress in how you should, because you've learned to not use this as a therapy. You've learned to use this as an enjoyment, right? And when you show up every day, like you said, when you see those people actually show up with a smile on their face, just enjoying the work. Mm -hmm. like that's where the magic is like literally like you find when you find athletes or clients that really love it and I mean love it and they love every little bit of it those are the ones that progress for a reason because they because they really really just enjoy all the aspects right like you said like there's a certain people that will be smiling seven weeks out in prep. The only way you can do that is if you truly enjoy everything that the sport is giving you 
and everything that this is giving you and the opportunities that you seize within yourself. And so that's what I'm finding. So like, I think it's a very important thing, like, and we have responsibility. I think most people don't like to be coached until they're 30, 32, 34, 35, 40, 50, right? And you have to undo all these things that if you got them at 20, it would change completely over how the rest of their life is set. Yeah, I agree. Like there's, there's a few things in my mind in regards to that. First of all, I think um, a lot of words lost their meaning. You know, I feel like, for instance, a lot of people say like, oh, you know, I, I love what I'm doing, but then they come in and you can see that they're like, it looks like they're deeply depressed, you know, doing what they're doing. It's almost like, you know, there's like a cognitive dissonance on the one hand between like the athletic identity and what they think they ought to do and then what they actually authentically feel like doing. It's also like there's a lack of awareness of actually, actually distinguishing between those two things, you know? Yep. It's almost like, well, what do you actually feel? And it's like, well, we're so out of sync with like what we actually feel that like we're confused between, you know, what we ought to feel and what we ought to do and like all of these things where somebody could be like, you know, posting a video about like some motivation video about a guy talking three minutes that they love what they're doing, but like I need a second looking in their face and I know they exact they don't love what they're doing, you know, mm -hmm. because if they would, they wouldn't, you know. I guess be so lifeless doing it um and i think i this is like a different problem but i i totally agree with what you said i just think that for a lot of people they they don't even know how to get to that point you know and i think one one good marker for it is if like if you're in a spot where for instance one day you'll be like oh i would really like to train chest instead of legs today you know but like that thought feels so dangerous to like your athletic identity and you're clinging so hard to a certain something, something that this is probably a sign that like, you know, the goal or whatever you're looking for in an abstract manner in your mind, you know, is so much more important than what you actually want to do or feel in that moment that there's something out of sync. And I think this is also when you talk about like, you know, the growth aspects of like, you know, doing all the other stuff, meditation, therapy or whatever it is. It's like for a lot of people, it feels really dangerous because it's like, if I do this, this might actually take me my coping strategy away. You know, it's almost like mm -hmm. they, it's like, it's like a danger to their athletic identity because they exactly know that maybe if I actually look after myself, there won't be the devil in my head anymore consistently, like saying, you know, you're a piece of shit. So, you know, train harder. Um, and they don't see the other side where they can see themselves training hard with enjoyment. Because if you're in this fucked up headspace, it's like, it's almost like it seems, first of all, it seems like impossible to think about what it is like to not feel that way in general. Like yep. if, if you're not feeling well, it's like, it's not like that you can just imagine yourself into like a happy space. You can maybe like have some mental images, but you don't really know what it is like to not have the problems you're dealing with. And then also the mind does not do a good job then projecting of, you know, what your training will be like if you feel better. And this is, I think where some people they're so, they know that like, you know, I, I guess like all of the, the past, which drives them into the gym and like all of these things is like connected to their athletic identity and maybe even to the career, because some people are professionals and what they do and they make money with that. That is so 
like difficult and scary for them actually to give that to give that up or not to even give that up but to literally just question it you know like question it in a way that like you want to open yourself to like whatever it is what might change you it's just like could be therapy could be like meditation or like self-inquiry whatever type of self-inquiry it is mm -hmm. um so yeah i i don't know i i think this is like some sometimes like um it's a really difficult topic because it also seems that everyone has a very unique story with that. You know, it's like yeah. some people, they like, they come to realize by actually crumbling. Some people come to realize by hitting the point where they get everything, but then they feel empty as if like the shit didn't change anything. It's like, there's so many like avenues to like actually come to the point of like realizing that this was maybe not the way of doing it. Um, I don't know. It's difficult to really like, I feel like even like suggest anything besides the fact that just like be aware of your motives, you know, it's like, I, why are you actually doing this? And why do, do you actually feel good doing it? You know, I think, when, I think, I think we need to teach people though, that understanding that they will see, they will get to that breaking point and they'll consistently think, well, why did I get to this point? Or they'll think of, like, why did I do those things that got me to this point? Right. Yeah. But really they, they, they didn't have the knowledge that even they just had in that moment over why they did it. Right. And so like, that's the process that you have to get people through is, mm. is you can't, is you will continually go into circles. If you look at it like that to where you're just like, well, why did I do those things? Well, you didn't really have like, like I did this before too, with a lot of like my trauma and things like when I was working through it last year and it would always, I, I wrote one day, I was like, or my friend wanted me to practice more self-compassion, right? Mm -hmm. Because, or self-love, because when you start to heal from those things and you start to heal from all that, it, it turns into a, well, why didn't I figure this out before? Or you start to play like the blame game on yourself as to why did I let that happen? Well, you didn't have the knowledge you have now. You didn't have the awareness that you have now, right? You only yeah. build awareness through experience and through actually living the life that yep. you allow to be lived, right? Like you don't, you don't just build awareness, like just like, just so you can go back. Like you build awareness so you can go forward. So I think a lot of people like try to hold on to those traumas and stuff thinking they were like, why, why did I let this go on? Where it's just like, no, give yourself some compassion that you didn't have the knowledge at that time that you had now. And the goal is to just like release that. That's the release for a lot of people is understanding that you didn't have that knowledge. So you can't go and change it, but you can, you can now have the knowledge to build that awareness. So it does not happen again. And does not yeah. happen in in those ways again. You'll be able to read when those things happen, right? So that's that's the way that we get better as a human. Is I think just people people don't recognize what what truly holds them back in in that retrospect. Is that a lot of times they just continue to think back over why they went through things or how it could have changed and how it could change with the knowledge they had now. But we can only move forward with the knowledge we do have. We can't. We can't go back and change anything. You think? I think everybody in life would probably would love to go back and change and change something at some point, right? You would probably go back and change that 2018 prep if you could, knowing what you have now, knowing the knowledge that you had now. You probably would, right? Like your ego will want you to, 
you probably right now is probably thankful as fuck for going through that. And, 100%. and now like you're in a much better place, right? You said where you're enjoying things because of it. So like, that's like a huge growth right there as things, but people don't see that. Yeah. I feel like this is also one good argument for like, actually like showing that as a coach, we're more like a guide and not somebody who is necessarily like making the decisions for the athletes, you know? You can't make and, decisions for the athlete. That's but it, I feel like the trend has come more and more, you know, like I hear so many like coaches who like actually like overtake or like, you know, for instance, if there's a, if there's an athlete and the athlete is like, Hey, I, I want to like compete, you know, just like figure, like seeing what it is like to compete. And if the coach then has like a certain anxiety about what the athlete may look like if they compete now and not in a year, it's like, you know, who are you to make the decision? Like, and it's like, this is like the ego of the coach hijacking the process of another person or like projecting itself onto the other person of on, onto the athlete. And for me, it's like, there's like the, the, there's a certain humble humbleness in it where like one needs to like realize that the best one can do is like, be grateful for the fact that the athlete literally chose you to guide them through their trial and error decision-making process you know, throughout their life and life stages mm -hmm. and like make those experiences and all of these things. Because ultimately, I think this is, it's very easy to fall into this like rescue mentality. You know, it's like, I can give something to you that you don't make like stupid mistakes, you know, but it's like, dude, I don't know. I feel like this is like uh, an attitude of like, um, I, it's, it's, it's a almost, thing of, it's a thing. I, I said this the other day and I actually posted it. Um, I am the guide to the solution, not the solution. Like as yeah. the coach, I am the one guiding you to your solution. I am the one educating you on what you probably need to do to get to where you want to get to. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm guiding you on the habits that you need to develop, the mindset that you need to develop, the execution of exercises that you need to develop. Right. Yeah. So when you get all that knowledge, then you can actually go execute on that awareness over what you have on yep. those tools. And when you educate, and this is where like my brand comes in is my brand is brought by educate, execute, develop. So it's like, I educate you. So you can go and ed ed execute yourself. So then you can develop into a best version of yourself. So yeah. it's like, I just play the first part. The sec, mm -hmm. the last two parts are completely up to the person. Right. So we're not actually the solution whatsoever. People think we, people put us on pedestals thinking we are. So it goes both ways where people, where the coach can make it seem like the athlete needs us. The athlete doesn't need us. Our goal is to guide them, to show them that they, that they have it within themselves to execute to the ability that they possibly to a greater ability than they ever thought they could. Yeah. And that's what gets them to like become better. I percent Yeah. I, I feel like it's, you see just like that there's a lot of like toxic relationship dynamics happening in coaching. You know, it's like the, it, it, it doesn't take long that if you like hear some stories where you're like, this is like reminding me of like abusive type romantic relationship stuff, you know, but just like in a coaching relationship <laughs> and not in a romantic relationship, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's just like such a, yeah. 
fucked up power dynamic. You know, there's no no better way of saying it. It's like where, you know, the one person sees themselves as like the OG who guides like the, you know, the other person who doesn't know what they're doing. But it's like ultimately, you know, I I like the the phrasing of, of my friend Tyson. He's like, you know, he's talking a, a lot about like, you know, when he talks about growth, he talks about like creating a nourishing environment for the person to be in. And, you know, what does that mean to create a nourishing environment for someone? Like there, when I think about athlete-centric coaching, it ultimately means that like you're in the service of the other person. And it's very easy to like, you know, think that, you know, you're the primary person who matters in that. Or sometimes there's like the mind creates very cunning ways of like making you think that you're actually in service, but it's actually like a you think, you know, it's like, oh, I am in service telling the client that they should, you know, maybe not do X, Y, and Z. But it's like, is that, is that, you know, you being in service or is that like, you don't want to see how that reflects on you if the client does X, Y, and Z, you know, it's like, it's just like a practice of like, incredible self-awareness and um i mean i totally agree with you sometimes you you know you, you don't know like at some point how the life of a person needs to unfold like some people like you need to make certain experiences you couldn't have gotten to where you're at right now without having made those experiences and i think it's like an illusion to think that like you know you could have could have made those decisions earlier you couldn't because if you could have you would have you know <laughs> it's like um, I guess this is like the wisdom of seeing like how experience unfolds. It's like ultimately that like the way your life unfolds is exactly the way it needs to unfold because, yep. you know, in that exact moment where you made the decision, there was a reason why you made the decision that way. You know, it's like, and you only, and you only could do that based upon the knowledge that you had then. Exactly. Yeah. There's like, there's a lot of like conflation between like, you know, using future states to imply for like past states and like all of that yep. stuff where it's just like, it doesn't work, you know? And I think with that, it's also like, you know, the humbleness that if you have a person and they do whatever they're doing for whatever reason, you know, it might be young athlete and they want to become world champion. It's not on me to tell them they shouldn't do it, you know? But what I can do is like, if they would actually want to have me as a coach that I would like guide them and like in the right moments, just like, offer, I guess, like nourishing solutions to them, you know, it's like, hey, like, do you want to do this or that? And then maybe they pick the solution I wouldn't have picked. That's fine. And then they go through it. And then afterwards, they're like, dude, this, you know, didn't feel great. Um, and then having like, you know, the kindness, like, even if you maybe foresaw that, you know, to be like, well, okay, you know, what, what do you want to do now? You know, but it's like, it's so easy to sometimes like fall into this headspace of, you know, like, you know, uh, I could, uh, you know, I, I told you, you know, it's like, I knew that that would happen or like things like that, mm -hmm. where it's like, ultimately, like, you know, it's not on, on, I'm not talking with you, like you personally, and I'm just yep. like, this is like the, the third person yep. you, um, it's not on you to make the decision, you know, it's like, it's the, it's the client. It's if, if we truly want to do athlete centric coaching, we allow the person to like trip and fall and like to do all of these things, even if that means they will not, you know, maybe do as well in the show than they wanted to, you know, it's like, sometimes there's like a certain cognitive dissonance there, but in order to close that cognitive dissonance, they need to go through the experience and not the coach needs to tell them how stupid they are for making that decision. Nope. Yep. Um, but it's, it's the same thing where I actually had an athlete talking about like consistency, right? And 
And for like three straight weeks, right, he dropped like five pounds within those three weeks. Okay. Hmm. Then he decides to decides to be not consistent, right? And he goes back up like two pounds. And he and he yeah. always go in this cycle of the same like five to six pounds. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why do why do athletes and people typically go within that? Because they're not they're not seeing they have that cognitive distance of that consistency factor. Whereas I, as a coach can point it out to them, Hey, this is what happens when you get consistent. Right. But then there's Mm -hmm. that barrier. There's that, there's that barrier right there. It's rough. It's, it's always around like that one month set point for a lot of Mm. people. Like people can be consistent for a few weeks to a month. And if you get them over that hump, they're Mm. there. Like, it's just going to, it's like ingrained in them now. Whereas Mm -hmm. we have to show them that. And that's where sometimes this is where it comes down to what is the athlete's goal and how do you coach the person, right? Mm -hmm. That's what athlete centric coaching means to me is that I have an, I have an athlete who's a bodybuilder, right? Through and through and tells me my goal is to get an IFBB pro card. Yeah. My approach to how I coach them is very different to someone who wants to lose 15 pounds. Mm-hmm. Right? Because the person who wants to lose 15 pounds, their problem is that consistency aspect. Mm-hmm. Like it's not it's not a I'm eating it's not always like a not eating too much thing and everything. It's just like they're not consistent enough on the habits that they need, right? Mm-hmm. And the things that they need to do over time. Now, calories do play a point into that, so I'm not saying that people, but I'm saying they don't know how to maintain that consistency with the training, the diet, sleep, all like hydration, like things that really matter when it comes down to it, right? Whereas someone who wants to get an IFBB pro card, okay, now we're talking about managing the little things. And I'm going to press you on those little things. Because this is where, hey, we're going for ultimate muscle growth, right? We're going for ultimate fat loss, where Mm -hmm. days really matter. But you're right, like they have to go through that. Because if they don't go through that, they don't know how to actively communicate it properly. Mm-hmm. To that's what I'm finding like a lot of people, like a lot of, and this is where I tell, this is why I like to teach like the young guys and I like to coach the young guys. I'm trying to get them to open up, mm-hmm. right? And communicate because they always try to be the tough guy, right? That they try to like solve it themselves. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is where having a guide helps them through it yeah. like if like we've been through it right as coaches <laughs> like if we if we haven't been through it we can't even like ask of the athlete to do it right but if we've been through it like that's why i always relate to whenever they whenever they so-called like mess up or they don't communicate properly i'm like i've been there and guess what it put me in a really bad situation when trying to diet and trying to do things and and it really like harmed my relationship with my coach yeah. so it's like understand that it's okay to actually not need to be the tough guy and figure it out because you will figure it out. Like I said, if you teach them now come 26, they have that knowledge and awareness to where they can figure it out and not need to rely on someone because they have the knowledge now and they have what the, they have the tools that they need to get mm-hmm. through it. So it's like, that's athlete centric coaching to myself is, we had to coach different people different ways, but we have to, you're right, we have to let them learn or else they're just not, they're not going to actually get that cognitive awareness 
over what they're truly doing and how they're stopping themselves from seeing the results that they want to get. It's also interesting because I feel like it can create a lot of insecurity in the coach itself, you know, because yes. sometimes I notice that, you know, sometimes if you know what a person would need to do in order to hit their goal, what you can do is you can kind of like shame them into it. You know, you can be like, you know, why you're not doing X, why you're not doing, doing Y. And that might actually work in a way that they're like doing behavior change, which ultimately is productive for the goal they sought you for. Mm -hmm. But maybe the goal they sought you for is actually not the goal they authentically want to do. Yes. So for instance, like the way I'm coaching now is like that if I have an athlete and they tell me I want to do X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, blah. And they're not whatever, like, for instance, consistent with whatever I'm telling them or whatever I'm, you know, giving them as like a framework. And obviously, mm -hmm. it's not like that. I'm just like not caring. I'll, I'll be like, this is all on you. So it's like there's, you know, ongoing discussion, ongoing, like, you know, direct inquiry. But like, it's not my responsibility to like control them in a way that they actually like exactly hit the result they were looking for. I noticed that sometimes like some people, they're like really attached to like, as a coach, I need to give them the result that they're looking for, which is fair. You know, a lot of people see it that way. And economically, <laughs> if you don't give the client the result, then you're in trouble. But like on the other note, I noticed that like, sometimes it's better to almost be like a, a mirror where you reflect to the athlete back how they like actually behave. And then sometimes it makes them question why they picked what they, you know, picked, but it like, it, it creates this insecurity in the coach where you need to be okay if they fail with whatever they're doing. And if things are actually not working for them, you know, because it's like, there can be the moment where you're like, you know, let's try, you know, X, Y, and Z. And like, you get like really anxious and like trying all the ways to like make the goal work. But, on the same token, maybe you're there in their life right now for them to figure out that they actually don't want to compete. You know, they don't yeah. want to do it. They want to, they want, they actually like, they notice that like, oh man, like I actually enjoy the sport, but I, I, may, I, I maybe don't want to compete, but it, it's like, it needs this capacity to hold space for the person and also not to take responsibility for all of their actions. It's almost like, um, I, I noticed that like some of the coaches I've recently seen, it's almost like that there's like this trade off of like, if I, if I coach you, you know, you need to do exactly what I say, but you also need to give up like all of the control. It's almost like, just like do whatever I say. And, you know, I have like, I'm in responsibility to give you X, Y, and Z as a goal and you, I'll get you there. But at the same time, I don't want to hear anything from you. And I think yeah. I'm yeah. like just the other way around. You could argue that, I don't know, maybe that's not the right way of doing it. But ultimately what that gives to me is like, if the client actually wants to do it, they'll get there, you know, and I'll like be able to create the circumstances and the environment, like the nourishing environment for them to get there. Um, which yeah. doesn't mean I that I'm not, I'm not engaging in, for instance, in like harsh uh, conversations, actually. Definitely. And this is the interesting part of it. If you're not taking responsibility for their outcome, you have a much easier time to engage in really harsh conversations because it doesn't reflect on you. You know, mm -hmm. once you take control or responsibility for them, then there's always this thought attached. But what does that, you know, what does that mean? Or how do other people, you know, look at me when I didn't get them to that goal? 
But to me, it's like, you know, it's like, this is not my responsibility. I give you all of the things you need to. I have all of the conversations I need to have with you, everything, but it's not, I'm not trying to control you. So it's like whenever they like fail in a certain thing and tr they try to blame me, I'm, I can I can have the conversation with them. I don't care, you know, but that ultimately removes all of the insecurity um, around that whole process. And also the fact that one needs to like micromanage every little thing to get the client from A to B. Um, because you're not yeah. you're ultimately not responsible for what they do the seven days, the seven days out of the week. Like exactly. you're yeah. you're responsible for giving them the framework, the yep. proper framework that they need, right? We don't really know what happens during those seven days, right? Because yep. I've seen it where, where people eat too much food, don't eat the food that's actually being prescribed to the, like the plan, right? Like if they're like trying to gain weight and they're like, well, my weight's not going up, but you keep like bumping calories and it's like going nowhere. You're like, I mean, really actually like, let's check your full day of eating here, right? And it's like, <laughs> we'll see. And yeah. it shows, right? And like, you can you can have those conversations because you know that's what they're doing because you can see it. It's easy yeah. to tell. It, I tell people all the time, it's easy to know. I just, I just want to wait for you to communicate it. Like, mm -hmm. it's not my job. It's not my job to call you out when I see it in a pattern. Like it is, but it also isn't because it's your mm -hmm. responsibility as an adult to take that ultimate responsibility for what you do do and mm -hmm. communicate and communicate it out to the coach because the coach can mm -hmm. only change, change what needs to be changed if they're if they're communicated to properly. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's like a big thing, but I I've seen it before where I I've had those conversations with some athletes where they're like, where I'm just like, I don't think like, I don't think competing is for you. And I'll yeah. tell them that whether that's for like a health reason, like for some females, right? Like when it comes down to like competing and Alexa knows this really well, it's just like, there's sometimes worth the risk when it comes down to females competing mm -hmm. and what their hormonal health is or what's going to happen internally to them. And it's like, yeah. you don't realize what's about to happen. It's mm -hmm. like, let me give you a rundown of what's going to happen though. When you do compete. It's, it's like, like I will give them that real world picture because they need to know that's yeah. my job as the coach is give them that need to know of, okay, before you make this decision, I need you to have the knowledge to make that decision correctly. Mm -hmm. Because if you do it this one way, just understand we are not liable for what ends. We're not fully liable because you made the choice. Yeah. Right. And you made the decision. Now, a lot of coaches will still put it on themselves. Absolutely. But there's a, there's a point to where you have to make, you have to make the choices and you have to tell the athlete what you think to prevent them from doing what they could do and, and it not ending in a great way in terms of things. Yeah. So I think it's just like, you're right. I've attached myself to the outcome a lot because it's, it's our plan, right? It's like our baby mm -hmm. when we come down to it. Each athlete is, each athlete is so important to us mm -hmm. that a lot of coaches do deal with this insecurity of, of outcomes with the athlete because we want to get them the results we want to get, but we know, and, and we want to share those too. Like we want to show that you are doing it. We want to show, and we want to like, 
I want to boast for you. Like, I want to fucking be your biggest cheerleader in a way. Mm -hmm. But I'm not always going to be a cheerleader when you're the one getting in your way of doing that because, like, we can see it. And so, like, at one point in time, you probably get this. It becomes enough times where you repeat certain things that you just stop. Yeah. You just you just wait until they get that awareness themselves to finally turn the dial and say enough is enough of what they are doing. And yeah. they get and and all of a sudden they get their stuff together. And you've probably seen it. They get their stuff together and oh my gosh, two months goes by. It's like completely different person. Physically, mm -hmm. internally, mentally, like because they finally got it together. And so not and I think it's a big insecurity that a lot of people deal with. But that's why it's so important to when you start off with an athlete is make them comfortable enough to come to you with it. And 100%. I think one of the good examples when you can tell that there's too much self interest of the coach in um, the relationship is when you're actually in a situation of confrontation, that you want to like, blame on the athlete you know it's like mm -hmm. you know you should have x y done x y and z because like one of the few things i notice is once i stop taking responsibility for the outcome i was actually able to confront the athlete in a kind way and yes. usually people are much more responsive because ultimately if there's something in you where it's like it needs to be like this in order for it also to work out for me you know it's like if they fail you know they may also like you know i don't know post like a lot of shit about me or like all of that stuff so w whenever there's like this like initial like i don't know um establishment that like you know what how however they act is on them and you're the one who's like providing the, the framework it's like i noticed that all the confrontations become very different and also like the anxiety about uh, coaching the athlete also becomes dramatically different like again i feel like i'm actually more confrontational in my coaching now than i used to be but it's like different confrontational previously i would have just like if an athlete would have done stupid shit you know it's like you're kind of like in your mind about it and it's like oh you know this is like do i want to say want... it's like do i want to hurt this person's feeling because like you get the money from them. <laughs> yeah, that or like, you know, if I, you know, I don't know, it's like things are not going the way you intended or, or whatever. It's just like this mess where it's like almost like it feels like it feels like so entangled, you know, it's like mm -hmm. you you don't really like you cannot say what you need to say for them to go there. And if you say it, then you're already so emotionally invested that you kind of like that this like almost like passive aggressive type of thing you know, comes around where it's like, if you're like, if, if this is like separated and there's just like, I let the athlete be responsible for themselves. They're like an adult. Um, you're actually able to like confront a person in a kind manner. And they're usually also much more receptive, you know, like if you yes. actually like come from a spot, a spot of like kindness where Un you said like understanding, ah, understanding, but actually, like listening to them, it's like, dude, I, I don't know if like based on what you told me if competing really is for you, you know, and then like you list them, maybe like whatever you've seen and then just like show them instead of like the other position then is like to, you know, have it has like sometimes this aggressive undertone yeah. mm -hmm. um, because it's like threatening to you and what it means to you as a coach. You know, it's like, oh, if they don't do X, Y and Z, you know, it will reflect X, Y and Z on me and this is not good which is like, 
um, yeah, ultimately, I don't know. It's, it's, it's something which I feel like I've seen more often recently. And it, that's probably why I'm like talking about it so much right now. But it's like, um, I think it's like, it's not serving anyone, you know, it's not serving the coach. It's not serving the athlete in a way either. Um, yeah, it's a point of understanding. It's literally, that's what like, I've started to change about my things is I, and this is where being a 25, naive, 24, 25 year old really kind of get you when you're coaching, right? Is yeah. you, you get into that spearheaded bodybuilding mode, right? Mm -hmm. And you're just like, why are they not executing like they should? Why are they not doing this? And you start to build like kind of resentment towards the athlete and it comes off yeah. that way. But if we tailor what the athlete needs from a terms of understanding, right? And give them a place of understanding like, it's really funny because an athlete messages me. She's like, the thing that gets me about you is like, you just, un you get me. She's mm. like, that's what gets me is like, you actually know me. And I'm like, yeah, mm. that's the point of the coaches. I need to come from a point of understanding who you are. And so mm -hmm. I can, so then you actually get to a point and it's very weird and it's very like spiritual and like metaphysical where you can actually like feel when an athlete's off and you're mm. not like you're not in you're not in that like you're not even talking like it's been like it's been like four days and you're like i can feel something's off here i'm gonna check in on them to see how they're doing and you're like and they're like you read my mind and i'm like yeah i just went off my my, my instinct here and just did what yeah. i thought i should do and so i think there's i think it's why i think it's why a lot of i think it's it's very important. The athlete coach relationship is the most important thing to the success of the the athlete is that and if you don't have a good relationship, you have to let it go. You have to have the non ego thing to let it go. But we dude, are it's the same. It's the yeah. same in therapy, dude. Like you can <laughs> it sounds weird. But it's like with me, you're like, um, studying psych right now. It's like, the biggest predictor for therapeutic su success in the client is not the type of therapy you do. It's the, it's the trust. Uh, it's the it's the relationship. Mm -hmm. The rapport between coach and client is the biggest determinant if the therapy will be successful or not. You need to think about that. It's like there's so dramatically different therapies. Like if you do like CBT type stuff where it's like psychoed. Uh, like psychoeducation and like stuff like that or if you like sit into like a, in, in a deep psychoanalysis thing but it's like ultimately what really matters is like is there like you know genuine trust rapport between the person and i feel like honestly it's just i don't want to say like you know just equivocate between those two but it's like it's somewhat the same you know mm -hmm. if you as a coach feel like you know the athlete is not trusting you and like you give them something and they're like not really hearing you and you're not hearing them it's like why the fuck are you even doing it then? You know, it's like, there's no, no point in it. Um, and ultimately I feel like if there's a lot of shame and blame and resentment involved, it just leads to resentment on one side of, or like on both sides and the outcomes will also suffer because of that. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So before we leave, I ask everyone the same question. The noble pursuit stands for the journey to become the best version of yourself possible. And it's the most honorable thing you could possibly do in life is to take on that pursuit and take on that journey um, without a doubt. So what is one thing that people can do to become the best version of themselves possible? 
that question can be answered superficially or very deep now. <laughs> it can. Uh, it's up to you. Let me feel into it a little bit. Definitely. Take your time. I would argue find a practice or activity or whatever it is, what creates total self-acceptance in you and total self-acceptance is an ideal, which, which also shouldn't be taken as like, you know, like as another goal, like you put it in front of your head. And you're like total self-acceptance, which precisely is not total self-acceptance. <laughs> um, you're like, I, I really need to accept myself right now. It's like, this is not acceptance. <laughs> like acceptance I is when you can... who I am. Yeah. It's like acceptance. Acceptance is if you can totally be with whatever is going on, whatever bothers you. So it's like, it could be very unpleasant sensations in that particular moment, or it could be very pleasant sensations or whatever it is, but like that you can totally be with whatever is going on. So whatever makes you feel that way, uh, engage in it more, you know, it could be for some people meditating or journaling or like just going for a walk with the dog. Or for some people, it's also maybe to like tap into their creative artistic side again, which they know they always wanted to do, but which they, didn't create the space for ultimately total self-acceptance actually needs courage. A lot of people think it's like, you know, um, it's like the, especially in our like Western culture, I feel like it's sometimes like suppresses like, Oh, you know, it's just this, the easy way. It's precisely not the easy way because nobody is doing it. You know, it's like, um, there is something in it where one needs to face a lot of things in oneself, um, anxieties and, um, you know, neurotic behavior patterns and obsessions, um, which makes one create that space for a practice which creates self-acceptance. And whatever that is, um, I would argue is probably the best way to actually like, you know, grow. Awesome. So where can, uh, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you, message you, um, anything like that? your time to shine here they can me they can find me in my apartment in my apartment reading a book <laughs> probably <laughs> no i my my uh my presence on on social media is not big anymore um they can find me in instagram under siba.zaostrength um besides that this is probably the best way to find me honestly um Fine. besides that um yeah not doing as much stuff online anymore and you're just enjoying trying to get out of that world, right? It's a it's a very enjoyable thing when you when you start to not need it as much. Um, Dude, there's there's so much nice things you can do. You know, it's like I don't yeah, know. yeah, yep. So, if you guys did enjoy this episode, which has definitely been probably one of my longest, one of my best, actually, um, go go share it on your Instagram story. Tag Siba and I on your Instagram story. We would greatly appreciate it. If you guys show support for this, we will show the love back. Uh, as you guys know, the podcast is brought to you by Morphogen Nutrition. You guys can use code SPADA for 10% off at morphogennutrition.com. If you guys don't already know, we're also on the YouTube. So go subscribe to the YouTube if you guys want to watch us and actually see the face-to-face -face conversation here. Um, 
it's one of the best parts of this podcast, I think, is seeing how we react, seeing how we respond, seeing how in tune we are with each other. I think that just makes everything way better when it comes down to podcasting. Um, and go subscribe on Spotify too. Leave us a five-star rating and review as well. Other than that, guys, you guys just took one more step forward on the journey to become the best version of yourself possible. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Noble Pursuit Podcast.